1: Indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Seven minutes to the hour of nine o'clock. And we're rolling on this Wednesday. It's the 17th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord 2021. And we've got a very important show for you today. Coming up in a half an hour, we will talk to Congressman Jim Jordan. We normally talk to the congressman on Mondays, as you know. But if you're a daily listener, you also know that I told you uh, he was uh, busy both last and this Monday and would be visiting us on Wednesdays instead. So here he is today, coming up in a half an hour at 935. Congressman Jordan and I are going to discuss a host of very important things, including the revelation. And this is enormous, especially in the wake of what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia, with respect to school boards, being the... Uh, kind of flashpoint for the NSBA letter to the department or to President Biden, President Brandon, which was forwarded to the Department of Justice to weaponize the FBI against parents who criticize critical race theory or trans bathroom rules, et cetera, et cetera. Right? You would think that the Virginia lesson would have uh, would have been learned, but lo and behold, it is much much worse than we ever thought it was. We now have the revelation that the FBI was weaponized to the tune of using counterterrorism tools against parents, not just those that issued, quote-unquote, threats, and that's very loosely defined, obviously, against board members or those who used intimidating or harassing language against board members. But counterterrorism tools designed to investigate parents who complained about uh, the education of their children. Republicans across the country this morning are calling for Attorney General Merrick Garland to resign immediately. This is a fact. Jim Jordan and I will discuss this. Jordan actually wrote yesterday... The FBI spied on President Trump's campaign. The FBI abused the FISA process, and now they are targeting parents, citing the whistleblowers' claims. Some very, very important information uh, has been released, and we're going to talk about that. I'm, I mean, quite literally, right now, it can be fairly stated and accurately stated that there is a a war, and. It, You use that term in a lot of different ways. There is a war between your federal government and parents who dare to push back against the agenda of the federal government. And the federal government is using all of the tools that they have in this war against parents. They have declared war on parents who dare challenge the orthodoxy that they are trying to to push upon the American people and upon the American educational system. There is just no doubt about that and Merrick Garland lied. Merrick Garland testified under under oath, under sworn he offered sworn testimony saying that they the FBI's counterterrorism division was not being used, that the Patriot Act was not being used against parents. And now again there are documents presented by a whistleblower that Jim Jordan will talk to us about proving that is not true. The FBI's counterterrorism division was adding threat tags to the names of parents who protested at local school boards. Garland said this is not happening. Garland is a liar. Then again, he was appointed attorney general by Joe Biden. How could we expect any less? But that is a mammoth, mammoth story that we're going to talk about with Jim Jordan. All right, so that's coming up at 935. At 1010, we're going to talk to Shannon Burns, who is the head of the uh, Strongsville Republican uh, 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 group, a uh, party, if you will. Strongsville Republicans are the organization hosting tomorrow night's Senate battle between or among uh, all of the Republican Senate uh, primary challengers. And uh, Jack Windsor, of course, is hosting this event and moderating this event. I was supposed to be the co-moderator of this event. I will not be the moderator of this event. There is a reason. Shannon Burns and I will discuss it at 1010 this morning. You're going to want to hear this. Because I think it's going to affect, or at least it should affect, how you decide to cast your vote when the Senate primary comes around in the spring. There are members of this field of candidates who cannot handle questions from certain members of the media and, in fact, ran scared when they found out that I was going to be one of the moderators and then suddenly crept their way back when they found out that I was not going to moderate. Uh, I'm just going to tell you who they are, and I'll let you make your own mind up of what that means to you. That'll be coming up at ten ten with Shannon Burns. So Jim Jordan and Shannon Burns are our two guests today. You, of course, are my most important guest because I relish the opportunity to talk with you, and you can do so at two one six nine zero one zero nine four five or triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Save those numbers. Dial them when you are ready. And before we do anything else, I think it's important that we start our day with our Pledge of Allegiance. So, patriots, please stand if you are in the, uh, a position to do so. If you're driving, don't try to do that. It's kind of difficult. can't really reach the gas pedal if you're trying to stand in a car. But if you are driving, seriously, just go ahead and uh, put your hand on your heart, if you would, and join us as we pay tribute and respect to this great republic. Uh, leftists, CRT proponents, uh, juror-threatening people in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, activists, who are trying to tear this country down from the inside out, don't bother standing. Just go ahead and take your knee. We know where you stand, or moreover, where you kneel. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for
2: which it stands, one nation, under God,
1: indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right. Um, quick update on the Kenosha situation. Yesterday, we spent a good hour of our program talking about the uh, Kyle Rittenhouse trial. The closing arguments were made. Yesterday, the jurors got the case and have been deliberating since uh, late morning, early afternoon yesterday. And somehow, some way, despite... Evidence, and, uh, which is, let me rephrase, despite an extraordinary lack of evidence, an appalling lack of evidence presented by the prosecution in this case, as determined and as dictated by countless numbers of legal scholars, law professors, attorneys, and former judges who have just said this is an open and shut uh, acquittal for, for Kyle Rittenhouse, despite prosecutorial misconduct, which should make it even easier, The jurors should have deliberated for 15 seconds, just long enough to have the vote and and to say, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, 12 times. Despite that obvious uh, situation, they retired last night, unable to reach a verdict. They called it a night, late night. I was doing the Larry Elder show last night when it happened, so it was sometime around 7.30 or so, uh, our time. And um, they called it a night. And They're going to restart this morning, and that has a lot of people, including myself. When I was doing Larry's show, I was asking the nationwide audience a very simple question. Do you believe that the jurors are too afraid to come back with the obvious verdict of not guilty? Do you think they're either afraid afraid for their own safety because there is a legitimate fear of them being quote-unquote doxed and thus targeted for harassment and worse, The judge has already gotten some extraordinarily vile death threats. Jurors have been uh, reportedly uh, videotaped, according to a radical BLM activist from Minnesota, who was a close confidant of the late George Floyd, which means he's probably, like him, a career criminal. But he actually went public with a statement at the start of this trial saying he knows for a fact that these jurors are being videotaped and identified. Now, that's not a direct threat, but it is indeed uh, what, it, what leads to direct threats. Hey, jurors, just so you know, we know who you are, so you better do this the way we want you to. Now, that, again, was something that was uh, reported at the very beginning of this trial, but now last night, as they retired uh, from their deliberations for the evening, multiple reports have come out of Kenosha saying there are indeed two jurors. Two jurors out of the 12 who are holding out on voting not guilty. There are 10 not guilty votes and two others who don't necessarily think he's guilty, but are admitting they're terrified. They're terrified of being individually targeted and also terrified about the massive crowd that is built, has built up outside of the Kenosha Courthouse, which we know what that means. That's, that's why there are 500 National Guard troops standing uh, uh, at the ready. Because these radical activists are ready to become radical arsonists on a moment's notice. They're ready to burn the city down, smash, destroy, attack, etc. Just like they did um, over the completely legally justified shooting of Jacob Blake uh, originally last year, which led to this whole thing. They're ready to explode. And according to multiple reports from reporters inside the courthouse... The crowd of radical uh, would-be rioters, rioters rioters-in-waiting, if you will, are being allowed to get so close to the courthouse that when they're chanting and they're screaming at jurors, they can be heard inside the courthouse. Now, part of this, I think, really needs to be identified as being the fault of the police and the fault of the National Guard or whomever is in charge of crowd control. Barricades should be up that push these people back far enough away from the courthouse to the point where their screams, chants, and threats cannot be heard inside the building. Two jurors, it is reported, are holding up the decision to acquit Kyle Rittenhouse. Two. And they can hear the threats from inside the courtroom. So this is just extraordinary. Extraordinarily dangerous. I mean, I mean, it truly is. But per U.S. marsh a U.S. marshal source in Kenosha, and I consider that to be relatively, uh, relatively um, reputable. It's a U.S. marshal who is there working in Kenosha. That it's two jurors that are holding up the mess, uh, holding up the show here, and uh, and not acquitting uh, Kyle Rittenhouse, which leads us to believe the the reality here that the criminal justice system can be hijacked by violent anarchists. The criminal justice system going forward is going to have to make an adjustment somehow. I didn't want to do all of this in this segment, but I'm going to finish the thought. Yesterday, I got a call from a woman in... uh, It might have been Tennessee. Last night, as I was doing the Larry Elder show, I, I, I had a call from a woman who said, why do they not treat jurors... With the same, uh, in the same manner that they treat suspects in a criminal lineup. In other words, why aren't they hidden from view of the you know by the uh, by the onlookers in the courtroom? Why aren't they using you know a two-way mirror or a one-way mirror? I guess it would be uh, how they phrase that, but you know where you can see uh, a mirror from one side, but on the other side it's a window and you can see through. When a witness or a victim of a crime has to identify his or her attacker in a, in, a, in a police lineup, they don't get to stand or they don't stand directly in front of where the would-be or the suspect in the case can see them and thus threaten them, you know, if they're witnesses. They don't stand directly before them. They stand behind that, that you know, whatever they call it. Is it a two-way mirror or a one-way mirror, two-way window or a one-way window? But you understand the point. So that the witness identifying the suspect can see the people in the lineup, but the people in the lineup cannot see the witness that is identifying them. It's for the protection of the witness. Why don't they put jurors behind the same type of obstruction to the point where they can see directly what's happening in the courtroom and hear everything, but people in the courtroom, people in the press, people uh, with the prosecution or in the defense, no one can see the jury. Why should they not be kept completely anonymous, non-identified, so that they cannot be threatened into delivering a verdict that goes against their consciences, but is supported by their fear, supported by their fear of personal attack, fear of attacks on their family, fear of of a lifetime of hell. And quite frankly, that's the reason why it's illegal. Uh, Doxing jurors is illegal. You dox jurors, you put their information out there publicly, their uh, their names, their uh, ages, their phone numbers, uh, their addresses, their family members' names, and then these people suffer harassment and intimidation and threats, and sometimes far worse, as long as they live in that community. So quite literally, in a, in a way, in a manner of speaking, the Rittenhouse trial could have far-reaching implications on the way our criminal justice system operates and I hope that the people in charge recognize that and I hope the people in charge are willing to make whatever changes are necessary to protect jurors so that our, I mean look our criminal justice system, I think think I said this yesterday, is not perfect it's the best in the world but it's not perfect, obviously and the reason we know it's not perfect is is because innocent people have been locked up and guilty people have gone free So it's not perfect, but it's the best there is, and it's going to be a lot worse if we allow jurors to be intimidated and uh, attacked and threatened and harassed uh, by radical anarchists who want criminals to be set free and who want innocent defendants to be locked up. So that's where we are. Uh, two jurors are holding out, and we'll see what Judge Bruce uh, Schrader is going to do about this. A lot of people believe that a mistrial should be coming, with prejudice. So the Kyle Rittenhouse cannot be retried the way the government want or the prosecution wanted to do it. But time will tell. We'll see where that goes as deliberations continue today. All right, uh, it's nine twenty-two. Let's take a quick time out here. We'll come back. I've got more for you, including. Uh, a verbal murder committed in committee in the United States Senate yesterday. A verbal, oral interrogation that is considered in internet parlance to be a murder. Ted Cruz just killed, uh, verbally speaking and figuratively speaking, rhetorically speaking, uh, the Secretary of Homeland Security yesterday in a committee hearing. You need to hear that. You will hear that coming up on AM 1420 been DS. For this moment.
0: Download the free WHK mobile app and listen to your favorite WHK programs or podcasts on the go. It's free in your app store.
1: Okay, it's 925. Don't forget Congressman Jim Jordan coming up in about 10 minutes at 935. We're very much looking forward to that. I want to get now to a hearing yesterday. In the Senate, a Senate committee hearing is uh, Senator Ted Cruz had Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas in front of him. And Senator Ted Cruz committed what is widely being referred to as a verbal murder of Alejandro Mayorkas, exposing and proving that the Biden administration has literally zero concern about our open border and zero um, foundations in reality. Do you remember for the last four years during the Trump administration what they called the facilities that were built by Barack Obama and Joe Biden that uh, children were detained in as they were brought across the border Uh, and parents and adults who were bringing those kids, sometimes parents, sometimes not? What did they say? Kids in what? What was the word? Kids in what? Kids in cardboard boxes? No. Kids in containers? No. What did they scream? What What did... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez do. She stood beside a fence in a parking lot and pretended it was one of these. And the ha- and the hashtag was what? Kids in uh, cages. They're caging these children. Kids in cages. Kids in cages. Kids in cages. Keep that in mind as you listen to this.
3: How many children have been in the Biden cages in calendar year 2021? Um, uh, Senator, I uh, respectfully disagree
2: with... Um your use of uh, the term cages
3: fine you can disagree with it how many children have been in the biden cages i've been to the biden cages i've seen the biden cages how many children have you detained at the donna tent facility in the cages you built told to kids how many children have been in those cages
2: uh, uh senator i can uh, uh, provide to you the following
3: uh, figure that um, when and let me let me say. When a child, I, I don't. Child, I, I, it's a simple question: How many children have been in those cages? Uh,
2: I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term "cages" and to what you are referring. There are
3: enclosures in which they are locked in. In which I took photographs and put them out because you blocked the press and didn't want people to see the Biden cages. Secretary marcus you're not answering my question. So let me ask you this: In the past year, has Joe Biden been down to see firsthand the Biden cages?
2: Senator, I will again...
3: Has Joe Biden been down to see this facility? Yes or no? The
2: president has not been
3: down to... Okay, no. Yes or no. Has Kamala Harris been down to see these detention facilities? She has not been down... Has any Democratic senator on this committee been down to see the Biden cages?
2: I will once again disagree with your use of terminology.
3: These facilities, has any Democratic member of this committee given a damn enough to see the children being locked up by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because of your failed immigration policies?
2: Uh, Senator, I cannot speak to um,
3: the members of this committee. You, you, and you don't know if any Democrats have been down there? To, to oh, I, I believe, d- Democrats have been down. To see this facility, yes or no? On a
2: facility. Whether they are members of this committee, I do not know.
1: That's just part A of the verbal assassination of the uh, Secretary of Homeland Security, which who is presiding over the erasure of the borders um, of this country. Quite literally, the erasing of the borders so that we are no longer a sovereign nation. This is part two.
3: ...have been sexually assaulted being trafficked into this country in 2021. Senator, I have no ability to determine... Uh, How many you don't know? So you didn't try to find out, have been um, sexually assaulted in Mexico along the migratory. All right. How about this? How many children have been sexually assaulted by traffickers or other people when they were coming in illegally? I do not have that data. Okay, so you don't know that either. Let me ask you this. How many illegal immigrants have you released into the United States who were covid positive? Senator, it is our policy to test uh, individuals. I didn't ask your policy. How many illegal aliens have you released who were COVID positive? Well, let me just say, when they are released, they are placed in immigration. How many have you released that were COVID positive? I will have to get that number. Okay, you don't have that answer either. Let's let's try this. How many illegal aliens have you released who had criminal convictions? Um, Who have criminal convictions in Mexico? In the Criminal convictions in whatever jurisdiction? Uh, uh, those individuals, if they pose a public safety threat... How many individuals with criminal convictions have you released? Senator, I do not have that Okay, number. let's specify it right, more I'm narrowly. Gonna
1: stop I'm going to stop this, uh, you- this slaughter here, just so that you can get to the news and understand the point. The point that Ted Cruz was making so very clearly here is... They are not vetting the illegal aliens that are coming into this country by the thousands and over the course of this year since Joe Biden took office, the millions. They're not being vetted for their criminal past. They're not being vetted for their disease. They're not being vetted for their, uh, uh, for their uh, uh, sexual assaults. They're not being vetted for the number of children that they have trafficked. None of these people are being vetted. The reason why mayorkas and the Brandon administration don't have the numbers he's talking about is they don't want to know they don't want to count they don't want any of it except get them in put them on a plane put them in another part of the country in the dead of night and release them eventually we're going to grant them all citizenship and voting rights and then we'll never have to worry about a ted cruz again that's the end game i'll be right back with jim jordan
0: America. A wake-up call, courtesy of the Bob France Authority, on AM 1420, The Answer. All right,
1: 936 now. Let's dive right into it as our time is limited with Congressman Jim Jordan, Ohio's fourth congressional district representative. Hey, di- All right, Congressman, All right, we got, we, got a, we got a phone issue here. Can we, uh, can we uh, pick him up, please, off the air and see if we can get rid of that click, 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 click? Uh, I'm assuming everybody else is hearing the same thing that I am. Uh, but uh let me let me know when we have that corrected so that we can congress get Congressman Jordan up and on the radio uh but at any rate congressman Jim Jordan who, as I mentioned, is Ohio's, Ohio's fourth congressional district representative, is going to have a new district to represent if he is, of course, reelected, because the new uh, battle lines, if you will, sometimes known as district lines, have been drawn for the uh, upcoming election. And um, Congressman Jordan, I I will lose him. All right, he's, he's good now. I'm told we have that little glitch fixed. Congressman, are you there, sir? I
4: am, Bob. Good, good to be with you.
1: Good to be with you as well. You know, I'm a little I, – I, I'm – I'm of two minds here as I look at this new district map that has been drawn, congressman uh, yeah and, and on one side of my mind, I'm very very happy that the concerns that I expressed last week that you and I discussed last week and tons of Jordan supporters all over Ohio uh, expressed about a, a map that was going to draw you into a very very difficult place. I'm glad that that was was rectified, I think you and, and, and yeah. uh, we'll, we'll ask you about your feeling on what that district looks like now, but I'm saddened by the fact that I'll lose you. Under the new map, I would lose you as a, as the Lorraine County resident. You wouldn't have, you wouldn't have Lorraine County or part of Lorraine County as part of your district. So yeah. you won't be my guy anymore. So, uh, your thoughts yeah. on that new district map?
4: Well, no. I, I, look, I want to thank you and so many others who who raised concerns. Um, the, the the maps that came out, I think give give uh, are are good for the state. Frankly, I think good for uh, good for the the, the the Republican Party and, 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 and fair. I mean, they're, they're the way they, they should be drawn to keep communities together. Unfortunately, as you point out, um, you, you know I, I'm, I'm not going to get to represent the good folks there in Lorraine County and a few other counties that we had made so many good friends. But I'll be happy to keep coming on your show if you'll have me uh, and talk to the good good people in your uh, your neck of the woods uh, who uh, are, are obviously just great people.
1: If you were representing people in Wyoming, I would still have you on. I right? so believe that. <laughs> uh, because you're, the, the work you're doing, no, seriously, the work you're doing in Congress every day uh, benefits certainly the people in your district, certainly the people in your state, but it certainly benefits the American people uh, overall. Oh, thank so that's, you. Uh, we, we certainly appreciate that. So I'm very glad to see that that map correction has been made, and it looks like they're not going to be doing anything that uh, might limit. I mean, you'll have a fair election. You know, somebody will challenge you, uh, but sure. uh, it'll be a fair election, and you will have a good opportunity to remain, uh, force for good in Congress. All right, Congressman, let's talk about being a force for good. Um, This is an unbelievable revelation. These new documents um, provided by an FBI whistleblower uh, yep. that prove that Merrick Garland lied uh, before, a, before a House and Senate committees about the targeting of parents by the FBI and by using counterterrorism tactics to do it, including threat tags to track instances of related threats, according to the email. Now, you wrote a letter to Merrick Garland. Congressman Jordan, what did it say?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, look, you're exactly right, Bob. The, the day he testified in committee, October 21st, he said, we are not in any way categorizing treating parents as domestic terrorists. The day before, though, his counterterrorism division at the Justice Department in the FBI sent out an email to FBI agents across the country saying exactly what you said, treating parents, tracking parents, categorizing parents, labeling parents, threat tag. This is, this is scary stuff. And the fact that he said one thing on one day when the day before they was doing just the opposite, I think requires him to come back and answer our questions because either he doesn't know, which is bad enough, or he was completely misleading not only us but the American people. Um, and, and never forget, Bob, this was, this was all driven by a left-wing political organization asking for this to be done. They, they wrote the letter to the President of the United States Five days later, Merrick Garland puts this process in place. Comes and tells us something different than then is happening. And of course, the day after he did, he said those things on October 21st. The very next day, 24 hours later, the entity that started it all, the National School Board Association, apologized for the original letter and withdrew their letter. So that's the scenario. It's like it's time for you to stop this and to come back and answer our questions.
1: Well, two things. Uh, number one, um, they responded to this. Uh, did the the uh, did Garland and the FBI? Uh, In the Wall Street Journal, uh, with a statement that said, quote, the FBI has never been in the business of investigating parents who speak out or policing speech at school board meetings, and we are not going to start now. The creation of a threat tag in no way changes the longstanding requirements for opening an investigation, nor does it represent a shift in how the FBI prioritizes threats. So in other words, Congressman Jordan, they're basically saying, yeah, that that email that, that, that the whistleblower provided showing the threat tags and the things we're using doesn't mean anything. How do you respond to that?
4: The emails talks about forms of intimidation and harassment. That's what we're going to go after pertaining to potential threats. What does that mean? What is a so a parent gets excited at a school board meeting about this this racist hate America curriculum that some schools are teaching, and does does that rise to this? Is is that individual going to be put on this? I I thought it was interesting. Clay Travis, uh, who uh, put out a, a tweet saying I spoke out against this kind of baloney at a. Uh, at a, a school board meeting, am I on a list? I mean, this is, because, Bob, this it's reminds a me of what, yeah, this reminds me of what they did 10 years ago. Remember, what the IRS had the BOLO list, the be on the lookout list, where it said if the, if you've got groups applying for tax exempt status using the word patriot, using the word freedom, you're going to harass. They targeted people based on those kind of things. That's what's going on here. And, again, this time the IRS is bad enough, the power they have over our lives. But this time, it's the counterterrorism division at the FBI. That's frightening.
1: Yeah, it really is. And and one more question on this, because I know your time is tight before we move on. Um, We keep talking about the NSBA letter and our original thought was that this left-wing organization, the National School Board Association, wrote the letter on their own accord, sent it to Joe Biden. Joe Biden forwarded it to the the Department of Justice and immediately, within five days, there was an FBI order to investigate parents. But later we found out through other whistleblower documents that this wasn't just the NSBA. They had coordinated with the Biden administration for weeks in advance, which begs the question, did the NSBA, were they the genesis of this, or did the biden administration just want to get out in it ahead and shut up these parents and needed a complainant uh in order to give their order did they tell the nsba send us a letter so that we have a reason to do what we got to do here
4: yeah we're inquiring we've done i don't know how many different letters we're we're sending letters to everyone the problem is we don't have subpoena authority so we can't subpoena the documents that we need and call in the witnesses that we need. Only the Democrats can do that because they got the majority. But you are exactly right. We now know from the get-go this was coordinated with a left-wing political group and the White House based on reporting that we've seen. So um, that's scary, too. But th- this is how these guys operate. R- r- and this is, you know, Bob, I, we were my, my chief staff said this to me yesterday. He was, he was right on target. This is why they were so out to get President Trump. Because President Trump came here and put a stop to this. It's interesting. In the Obama-Biden administration, you had the IRS targeting people. You had the FBI targeting the Trump campaign. During the Trump years, this government didn't target people. But, oh, here we are now, just 10 months into the Biden administration, and what do we have? The FBI targeting parents. Why is it always the Democrats who are using the, the power of government to target people not the Republicans that's why they tried to get rid of that's why they went after President Trump so hard he stood between that he was the stop there between this crazy activity that's going on um I'm getting and, mad again and, just because it, it's no, so wrong it.
1: and and even worse uh, you know they they literally called President Trump the tyrant he was the dictator he was the yeah. one who was going to use the federal government to target uh, innocent innocent yeah. Americans and it's literally <laughs> yeah, that's the, the
4: irony that they, they accused him of doing exactly what they had been doing, what they were doing, and what they're now doing again. Uh, it, it is so wrong.
1: Yeah, no question about it. Let's move on to the mandate. Um, uh, as we all know, the Fifth Circuit of Appeals has issued a ruling. Uh, it's a stay on the uh, uh, the Labor Department, the OSHA order, to have everybody mandated if you work for a company 100 people or larger. Um, a word I got today was that the Sixth Circuit, this is ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, yep. put out a press yep. release saying the Sixth Circuit is going to decide all qualified lawsuits from all other districts. Um, can you tell us anything about that? And what do you do? You have a prediction on how that's going to play out?
4: Well, I mean, you, you're never good to predict, but you know, the decision we got out of the fifth, the fifth district was great. Yeah, the, the three judge panel down there that was great, and and they were right on target. This thing is is is, is unconstitutional. It, you know, it it's got real problems. The sixth circuit, I think, is a good draw. I really do because I mean, that's our district. That's Ohio, and that's I, I think there are a number of of, of justices who uh, view the Constitution the right way, their originalist type of view of the of the Constitution and um and a number of Republicans appointed uh Republican appointed judges there. So I think that's a good call and a good draw for for those of us who understand this vaccine mandate is not does not square with American freedom.
1: Yeah, and you know, Representative Massey, one of your colleagues, wrote this on Twitter yeah. last week, and I think it's just perfectly stated. And just a quick response to this, he said anyone who believes that a US president can unilaterally impose a medical treatment on all Americans as a condition of employment is constitutionally illiterate and morally bankrupt. That's pretty much sums it up, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, it sure does. Thomas is a good man who, who truly values the constitution and, and the freedoms we enjoy in this country. So good friend of mine from from the great state of Kentucky.
1: Congressman, you're working every day, so I know you're not watching television every day to see everything that has gone on in the Rittenhouse trial. I won't ask you to give me a verdict because of that. But I do want to ask you this. If, according to a U.S. marshal source in Kenosha, there are only two jurors who are holding out right now on voting to acquit Kyle Rittenhouse in their deliberations last night that now extend into this morning, and they say, according to this marshal, they're terrified. They're terrified because their identities are going to be known, and they're going to be doxxed, they're going to be harassed, their families are going to be threatened. If they do what they need to do, um, can the American criminal justice survive if jurors are afraid to deliver what they truly no, believe is, to be the right verdicts?
4: No, this is wrong, and the idea that the, the mainstream press isn't criticizing <laughs> this, this intimidation tactic that's going on—we uh, want we want equal treatment under the law for everyone, and we want a fair trial, and we want a jury that's not 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 in any way going to be intimidated. This is this is just flat out wrong, and unless uh, we want the jury to to reach the verdict that they're supposed to reach. Um, and the, 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 that, that's just, that's just how it works in our great system. So, um,
1: We'll journalists inside happens, the courthouse it. say they can hear very clearly the the potential rioters slash protesters outside the courthouse screaming and chanting oh, they right. can hear it inside again that's going to have an impact on jurors who are afraid that they're going to either touch yeah. off a a riot in their city again if they vote yeah. the wrong way or against what their conscience tells them to do again it's one of those things where we have to make account, uh, an accounting of that in order to keep criminal sure justice do. system fair for everyone right
4: yeah we we we, we sure do and uh you know, but, but but again, I think Americans are courageous people. American people do the right thing, and I think uh, let's uh, let's let's hope that's the case here, uh, and we'll we'll see how this uh, this plays out.
1: Well, I'm sure you'll join us in praying for the courage and the strength yep. of those jurors to do what yep, they believe exactly. is right, not what they're afraid yep. of, Congressman. I know yep. your time is tight. Thank you, sir, for your time this morning. You bet, Bob. Thank you. Take care, right. brother. There's Jim Jordan. That's good news, by the way. Uh, and I uh, I got this map yesterday morning. By the way, when I started the conversation with. The new district map drawn, uh, and which is going to be the official map for the primary elections uh, that are coming, and the general elections again for Congress. Uh, this was released yesterday. I mistakenly assumed when somebody sent me this map that it was the same Senate map that we talked to Jim Jordan about last week. A map that was drawn that was going to essentially push Congressman Jordan's fourth con- congressional district down into a very heavy Democrat stronghold, where Democratic Representative Joyce Beatty won her district last time by 19 points. That he was, it, it, was, it, it appeared, according to many, that the GOP in the House and in the Senate in, in Columbus were somehow trying to force Jim Jordan out of Congress. And the belief was, among many that I talked to off the air and off the record, which is why I won't give names, is that the governor, who is an anti-Trumper, and thus an anti-Jordan-er, um, was likely behind that. Now, a lot of people raised a lot of ruckus, including me, including a lot of people who listen to the show, including a lot of activists who are connected to a lot of these state representatives and state senators. Uh, and apparently enough ruckus was made across the state that they had a little bit of a, um, uh, what do you want to say, uh, they decided on a uh, in an edit of that map that they had put forth. And they edited that map and apparently did so much, much more favorably so that Congressman Jordan is going to have a fair shot at being reelected. He is not being guaranteed re-election, but that he will have a fair shot at re-election by not, Pinning him in a place where it looked like the Democrats in a majority large county uh, might counteract uh, the congressman's Congressman supports support in other district or uh, counties rather in that district. So good news. You making noise. Me making noise. People all over Ohio making noise. Send a message to. State House Republicans saying, fix this map. Don't take our strongest ally in Congress and force him uh, you know, to fight for his political life there. It, w- it would be a detriment to the district and a detriment to the state, and quite frankly, a de- detriment to the country to remove one of the Democrats' biggest obstacles uh, from the House, which, of course, is Jim Jordan. Having said that, by the way, it's also a very favorable map, generally speaking, to Ohioans and to the majority party that draws the map. It is fair. It is constitutional. It does provide competitive districts for Democrats to potentially win, which is what the Constitution calls for. So they did it right. They did it constitutionally. They did it with fairness. Yes, there will be advantages for the Republicans, potentially, in a number of those district races, but they are not uh, uh, advantages that are illegal or unconstitutional. This is the way it is run in a majority party in this state so they fixed it while also fixing Jim Jordan's uh, potential threat there as well. So well done Ohio members of the of the uh, Statehouse GOP and I don't often praise them because oftentimes I don't understand what they're doing or what they're thinking as they work in in almost complete opposition to the whims and to the will of the people who put them there. Ohio Republican voters, but this time around It looks like they were listening, and it looks like uh, they got it done, and they got it done right. All right, 9.52, quick timeout. Come in the back on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, 9.55, continuing on AM 1420, The Answer. Don't forget, we're going to talk to Shannon Burns after the top of the hour, head of the uh, Strongsville GOP. Strongsville GOP is one of the major main sponsors of tomorrow night's um, Senate debate, Senate forum, if you will. Jack Windsor and the Ohio Press Network um, have scheduled a series of four primary forums. Not really being called debates, but come on. A forum is a debate for all of the uh, uh, members of the um, uh, primary field in the GOP. They had one in Versailles about three weeks ago. They had one in Columbus last week. They're having one in Strongsville tomorrow. They're having one in uh, Cincinnati on the 29th. And uh, as this one is Northeast Ohio, Jack has asked me to co-moderate the event and ask questions of the candidates. I agreed to do so. Very much looking forward to do so. Until I found out that candidates were fleeing the, the debate. Instead of having seven candidates, we were down to four. As some candidates literally let the Ohio Press Network and Jack Windsor know that if I was going to be asking questions, they were out. Now, you can probably figure out which of the candidates might have been the ones to, um, uh, to make such decisions. One of them is the only female candidate in the field and you can probably figure that out. You see, these people have been interviewed before by me, and they have been held accountable. They have been asked fair questions about their past remarks, past decisions, past uh, uh, work that they have done, if they have been elected or in prominent positions before. And they don't like getting those kinds of questions, particularly when when an interviewer won't allow those answers to stand if they don't answer the question if they go on a filibuster, political or politician rather type response, never answering the actual question or answering it with statements that are contrary to things that they have said about the very same thing in the past. They don't want to answer tough questions from tough interviewers. Apparently, I am enough of a difficult interviewer uh, to impact the outcome of this race. They're willing to not be heard before a massive, massive audience, and I don't mean just in person and in Strongsville, but Northeast Ohio will be looking at and watching and listening to the answers they give. This is a massive part of the voting block in the state, obviously. The biggest cities and the biggest uh, metropolitan regions, of course, in Cleveland, Columbus and Cincinnati are largely going to def- uh, define and decide the primary race. And some of them are choosing to skip the opportunity to separate themselves from their opponents in those debates. Also, they don't have to answer questions from me. So I have stepped aside. I've made a decision that it's better for the people and the voters of Northeast Ohio to see all of these candidates on stage. To see them all and hear them all, so that they can make the right choice, an educated vote in the primary fight, to make sure that they defeat the Democratic opponent in the general election for this, these important seats in Congress, or excuse me, this important seat in the Senate. Beg your pardon, as we, as they try to replace Rob Portman. Kind of went back to the Jordan congressional races there for a moment in my head. Sorry, uh, but I kind of felt like it was for the greater good, if you will, of the voters and of these candidates to all be heard. So I have stepped aside. Coming up in uh, a few minutes after the top of the hour, Shannon Burns, who is one of the sponsors as the head of the Strongsville GOP, will join me to talk about how that whole thing is playing out, what can be expected in this Senate debate tomorrow in Strongsville, and we will talk a little bit about the individuals who made their choices uh, to attend or not attend based on being able to ha- handle tough questions. Because the bottom line is, If they can't handle tough questions from Bob France, how are they going to handle tough challenges from people like Chuck Schumer and other Democrat leadership and Democrat uh, uh, socialists if they get into the Senate? How are they going to handle debating in committee? How are they going to handle the tough work necessary if they can't handle a local talk show host? That's a reality. And we'll name names right after this with Shannon Burns on AM 1420 The Answer.